The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And I just want to, I don't know if you want to call it part two or part three or whatever it is, but I'm just going to title the message Life on the Altar again, part whatever you want to put on it. Because this is a continuing thought about what life is like when you are surrendered to God and, 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 and what it is, what the benefits of that life are. And I want to look at these verses together tonight and keep thinking about that, that surrendered life, that life that is given to God uh, and on the altar. Let's pray and let's ask God to speed our heart tonight, okay? Father, we, we love you and we're thankful for the privilege we have just to open your word, to have a copy of your word. And then, Lord, to hear a clear presentation of the gospel and to have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. Lord, what a, what a blessing it is. And, Lord, we pray for these families, pray for our family and, Lord, the, uh, Brother Jason's family, the Pullman family, Lord, these others that have experienced uh, 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 death in the family. And, Lord, I pray for anybody in here, Lord, that's on the brink. Lord, they're under conviction tonight but never truly been born again. God, I pray that they would be saved Father, I pray that you would touch me and help me tonight to preach your word and power and unction. God, give me liberty to do so and help us receive uh, with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save our souls. Father, I pray that you get all the glory for all that's done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, these verses, as I've said, they continue. Verses 2 and 3 really is what I want to focus on tonight. And they continue with that same theme of giving our bodies over to God for His service. And even speaks in verse number 2 of the, the will of God. And really, verse number 1 is kind of the doorway into the practical section of the book of Romans. I mentioned that this morning and the other day. But there's a really a bigger theme rather than just that one uh, isolated verse. You don't want to isolate verse number one, even though it's a message in a in a in a vacuum. No doubt about that. That's kind of how I preached it uh, this morning. But there's a greater context. There's a bigger picture going on here, and uh, in the, in this chapter and following, it'll continue all the way through chapter thirteen. 14, 15, 16 is kind of more of a salutation, if you will. Greet this one and greet that one. But, but really, 12, 13, 14, 15, four chapters, you, it's pretty much like a machine gun of commands. This, 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 do this, do this, do this, do this. It's just kind of one after another uh, commands. And all of these commands seem to center around the local church life in the church, life together, living in harmony and unity uh, together as a church body. And it really all comes down to what we read in verse number 3, I think, as I've read it. I think one of the key things is, is, is a little phrase in verse number 3. And I think this is the main thing that everything 
kind of hinges on right here, and it's this phrase right here that it says, uh, to every man that is among you, here it is, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I want you to underline that phrase right there. That we ought not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. You know what it's called when you think of yourself more highly than what you ought to think of yourself? That's called pride is what it is. Do you know what it you know what keeps people from getting on that altar and surrendering everything to God and giving it all to God? Do you know what it is? It's pride. You're not going to crawl on the altar and give it all to God. You're not going to surrender everything to God uh, as prideful. It's got to be a humble submission. And that is really the theme of what's going on here. It's humility. And it's said in the context of service in the local church. That's how everything will function in the church. It can only function uh, well when there is humility there. Remember what it says in the Proverbs? That only by pride cometh what? Contention. I'm telling you something, wherever there's contention, wherever there's fighting and striving, I'll tell you what there is, there's pride. I mean, every single time, 11 times out of 10, it's always that way. Uh, it's always pride is what it is. In fact, I think, I'm not trying to change the Bible at all. Please don't throw anything at me just yet. But uh, if, if it only by pride cometh contention, then I guess we could just kind of get from that that only from humility cometh the opposite of contention. Peace, harmony uh, in the local church. When the body, in fact, that's the analogy he's going to go into next in chapter number 12. The church is like a body. Uh, the church is like a body and all the members have different functions and, and we don't all do the same thing. Listen, every member in this church, aren't you glad that we're not all the same? And that's what he's going to get into. We're going to get maybe even Wednesday night. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're not all the same. It's not, it's not all the same. And we ought to thank God for that. God has equipped us and God has gifted us in different ways. I remember seeing, uh, I think there's a song that come out years ago. Uh, some quartet did it. And then I've seen signs like this in church. It said, what kind of church would my church be if every member was just like me? And I think I understand the reasoning behind that. It's kind of provoke people to say, hey, you know, don't, uh, don't be the hobo around the church, right? Isn't that what that means? You know, just mooching off everybody else. Somebody's got to work. Somebody's got to pray. Somebody's got to give. If everybody gave what you gave, would, would we have any lights on right now? If everybody, if everybody did what you did, would there, would there be do, of doing of anything? And I understand the context of that, but can I tell you, you can be the most faithful, you can be the most talented, you can be the most giving, you can be everything, but I promise you, if everybody in the church was just like you, this would be a horrible place. And if everybody in this church was just like me, as wonderful as I am, if everybody in this church, this is a message on humility now, if everybody in this church was just like me, this would be a horrible place. You know why? Because we need each other and we need those gifts. And that's what he's saying. And I'm getting a little bit probably on what I'm going to talk about Wednesday night. But, but it's that humility and context of serving in the local. And everything in the remainder of this thing is about, about getting along in the church and getting along in the community. And, and it takes humility to be a sacrifice. A prideful person is incapable of crawling up on the altar and giving themselves to God. They have to, they, they have to receive. It's all about them and they have to get. And where the Bible tells us that it's not about getting, it's about giving, giving yourselves. Being that living sacrifice. 
And that's kind of the context of what's going on here. And with this theme of being a humble sacrifice given to God, there's a few admonitions in here. I want to I just point out three here that's found in these verses right here. Number one, I want you to notice this. First of all, I want you to see a conforming that is forbidden. There is a conforming that is forbidden. Do you see that in verse number 2? And be not conformed to this world. That is a negative command. That is a don't do this. Do not. It is forbidden. This kind of conforming is forbidden. Do you know what? Conform means. That word conform just simply means to fashion after something, to be like, to follow a pattern. It's like to be put into the mold of something is what it is. To conform. And it tells us that we are not to conform to what? To this world. So the subject of worldliness comes up. Isn't that right? Now what is worldliness? Can I tell you what? To me, most of the time what worldliness is, is just whatever I want to preach against at the moment, it falls under the category. That's worldly, all right? If I don't like it, that's worldly, all right? It's usually what it is. Most time preachers just take you out and just use it for what it is. But you know the Bible tells us what we're... 1 John 2, 15, about love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And he tells us what those are, verse number 16, for all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And this is all of the world right there. It, it tells us what the things that are, one of those that things that are of the world is what? It's the pride of life. The pride of life is worldliness. Be not conformed. And Paul is going to bring our mind. I'm, I'll get to our mind in a minute. But the next, the next command is a positive command. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's in contrast to the first command there. And he brings our, he brings our mind into the picture. The, the, the admonition is, is that our minds cannot get conformed to this worldly mindset. And it's in this context of, of, of pride is what it is. Can I tell you what? I believe the worldliness is that's in view in this chapter right here. Will you take your Bible, go over to Matthew chapter 20 just for a second. And I want you to look at what Jesus said. We're talking about being a, a sacrifice. We're talking about being humble. We're talking about submission in the, in the church, submitting one to another, serving one another. All that's in chapter 12. You'll find all that. But go over to Matthew 20 just for a second. Look at what Jesus says. These are some people that are really struggling with this idea of being a humble sacrifice given to God. They're not looking for an altar. What we're going to read about here in Matthew 20 is some people, they're not looking for an altar, they're looking for a throne. See, most people, they don't want to die on an altar, they want to reign on a throne. They want to sit on a throne, they want to be in charge, and they want everything to go their way, and that's what they want. And that's what we find here in Matthew 20. Look at verse number 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She said, saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. So this mama, for her boys, she's not, asking, she's not looking for an altar. She's not looking for a cross for them to carry. She wants to sit on thrones in this kingdom. She wants them to have a great spot, a, a spot of elevation, a spot of, of pride right here. And I'm going to skip a couple verses because Jesus deals with that. And verse number 24 says, And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. And here's what Jesus did. Verse 25, But Jesus called them unto him and said, Now look what he said. He said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles 
exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. Now listen, you know what Jesus is describing? He's describing the way the world thinks. He's describing a worldly mindset. What's the wor- How does the world think? What's, the, what's being conformed to this world? What's the worldly mindset? The worldly mindset is get to the top, step on whoever you have to, be at the top, be the head. It's better to be the head honcho than any other honcho. Be the head one, be at the top, let every, get people to serve you, get people to wait on you hand and foot. And just and climb your way to the top. Exercise authority over everybody else. Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's what the world does. That's what he means by Gentiles. That's what the Gentiles do. The people that don't know God, right? Y'all are supposed to know God. They don't know God, and that's the way they operate. Why are y'all, he said, why are y'all acting like the Gentiles? Why is, why is mama coming over here and trying to get y'all a place on the throne? And in other places, you'll find they were jockeying who's going to be greatest in the kingdom and who all that. And Jesus stopped and says, whoa, hold on a second. That's worldly thinking. We're not talking about hairlines and hemlines. We're talking about real worldly thinking. Worldly thinking is when you want to sit at the top and everybody serve you. And you want to sit on a throne instead of sacrifice on an altar. He said, that's what the Gentiles do. But look what he says, verse 26. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Can I tell you, that is the definition of worldliness right there. That is worldliness. That is worldly thinking. Uh, That is the kind that is talked about in Romans 12. You can go back there if you want to, where Paul is saying, listen, don't be conformed to this world. Don't think, if you go into church and if you go into ministry with a CEO mindset and with a worldly mindset of like you're trying to, to, you know, jockey for position, this whole thing ain't going to work and then church becomes a performance and church becomes a, a place where everybody's trying to, to be seen. And it's a mess, ain't it? Spiritual life ain't that way. That's not how Jesus did it. Jesus said, I didn't come to be ministered. I come to minister, not to be ministered unto. I come to give my life. Give my life. What does that sound like? It sounds like a sacrifice, don't it? He said, I come to be a sacrifice, not to be served. I'm going to tell you what, we got enough of that mindset in the church, don't we? And I'm not talking about necessarily, I'm just talking about, in, there's a lot, a lot of preachers think that they're sitting on a throne somewhere. There's a lot of deacons think they're sitting on a throne. Thank God we ain't got that here. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of church members think they're sitting on a throne and they want to reign and they want to rule and they want to be in charge. And I'm going to tell you something, that is not, that's not what God saved us for. That's not how our master operates. Our master is the greatest example of, servant, of a servant's heart and a living sacrifice and even a dying sacrifice. But I'm going to tell you something, friend, that is our pattern, not this world's thinking, not this world's pattern, but the pattern and the way of our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Worldliness is a prideful promotion of yourself. It's the opposite of making yourself a humble sacrifice given to God. And he talks about a conforming that is forbidden. Number two, I want you to see that he talks about not only a conforming that is forbidden, but he talks about a transforming that is fruitful. 
there is a transforming that is fruitful. Do you see that there's the other side of that command right there? And be not conformed to this world, but what? Be ye transformed. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transform, it means to change the form of. It means to change from one substance to another. Transform, a cross form, to cross form. It means literally to change is what it is. He said, listen, naturally, that worldliness and pride, that mindset, you don't have to teach that mindset to anybody of be on top and everybody serve you. You don't have to teach that anybody. You don't have to sit children down and give them a class on how to be prideful and not get along with others. I guarantee it's going on in the nursery right now because my kid's in there. Now, I haven't taught him this, and I, I hope maybe he hadn't picked it up, but listen, that boy, he, not, listen, he thinks the whole world revolves around him. That boy thinks everything. You got to get when he wants to get up. You got to get up. Well, Heather does. And when when he wants to get when you give it, you gotta you gotta get him a bottle. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. I mean, you know why? Because it's all about him. That's how we we come out of the womb like that. But and can I tell you something? Some people don't grow up. They just get older. There's a difference. Some people don't ever grow up. They, they're 60 years old. There's nothing worse than, a, than, than an older person that's just selfish like a little baby. They think, I, mean, there's no, I mean, it's bad when you're younger but because you, you're thinking, man, you ought to be over that stuff by now. And they want to sit on a throne instead of, instead of die on an altar and, and serve and sacrifice on an altar. And, and, and we see that. Uh, 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 but that, that stuff comes natural. You don't have to teach it. That's a part of your flesh. That's built in. We naturally conform to this world. That's why this world is the way it is, is because they're lost without God. You know what we need? We need a transformation. We need deliverance from that thinking. We need, we need rescuing from that. We, we, really, we need to be rescued from ourselves, don't we? We need to be transformed. We need to be transformed from our natural environment. And that's the world that we live in. When you leave out these doors and you go to your job and you go to Walmart, it's everybody, it's every man for himself. It's dog eat dog. It's, 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 it's eat or be eaten. It's, it's, I mean, it's climb to the top and step on and hurt whoever you have to to make another dollar and make another buck. And that's how this world operates. And God says, that is not the way that you have been saved by my grace. You have been a, a, a recipient of my mercy. You have been called to the altar of sacrifice. Don't you be like this world. You be different. Be transformed. Now how are we going to get this transformation? He says right here, how? The renewing of your mind. Because like I said, that mindset is natural. It's got to be changed. Something has got to alter your mind from its natural state to this spiritual life, to this spiritual plane uh, it comes from a renewal of your mind because literally you are what you think. You know that? That's in Proverbs as well. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are your mind. We need God to change our minds so that we might think differently and behave differently and live differently. And it's got to be, by the way, that renewal has got to be a daily renewal. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, that though our outward man perish yet, and our inward man is renewed day by day. It's got to be renewed day by day. You know why? Because you can come to church and you can listen to the preacher preach and you can agree with everything that he says, you know what, that's right. I need, to, I, need to, I need to sacrifice. I need to give my life to God. I need to surrender to God. And then you get up on Monday morning and that ain't what you're thinking about. 
it's gone. You might know what I'm talking about. I'm the one that preaches and studies the messages, and I get up on Monday morning and it's faint. It's like, well, I don't know. I think I'd rather just hurt somebody today or, you know, I don't know. I'd rather just live for the flesh today or whatever it is. That's why you need, listen, that's why just coming to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival, that's good. But you're going to need something personal. You're going to need something daily. You're going to have to humbly submit to God every single day. That's why you need to get in that book every day. You know why? Because your mind is filthy. Your natural mind, your carnal mind, it's enmity against God. It's, it's against God. It opposes God. It wants to exalt your flesh and push down the Spirit of God. And so you know what you need to do? You need to get in that book and you know what it'll do? It'll wash your mind. We need to be brainwashed, don't we? That's what we need. Well, that book. You get in that book. That's why you need to sit under, sit under the Word of God and you need to come to church. That's why I love coming to church on Sunday. It's refocused. You know, you get out in this world and you think, well, maybe they're right. You know, it seems like the little man's always oppressed and it seems like, you know, the good guys always finish last and the bad guys are always finishing ahead. And maybe I'll just give in. Maybe I'll give up. Maybe I'll cheat a little bit. Maybe I'll steal a little bit. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, uh, I'll cut some corners just a little bit. Maybe I'll compromise a little bit. And you get out there. And then you get in church and the Word of God starts washing over you and you get in the presence of God, worshiping God, and you realize, you know what? That is wrong. This world is wrong. This Bible is right. And heaven is real. And the Holy Spirit is real. And, and it renews your mind, doesn't it? Can I tell you, you can have that every day, not just on Sundays. You need it every day. Every day, if you're going to let the reason you struggle between services is because you're not, you're not learning to renew your own mind. Let God renew your mind during the week. Amen. Daily, every day. Spend time in His presence every day. Intentionally be under the influence. I'm talking about even it has to do with the music you listen to and the people that you hang around and all that. They are influenced. You need to be influenced, intentionally influenced as much as you can. Now, we got to live in this world, I understand. But you need to be intentionally influenced as much as you can by people that have a renewed mind. And that are people that are trying to keep a renewed mind. I like people. I want to be around people that love Jesus. I want to be around people that are excited for Jesus. And if they're not, you know what? I want to try to limit the kind of influence they have on my life. You know why? Because it affects my brain and affects my mind and my mind affects my body. Amen. I, was like, I got XM radio in my car and I was trying to find, uh, I left that funeral yesterday and I was trying to find the, uh, the Georgia game to come on during that funeral. I was trying to see what was going on. I might have checked my phone maybe one time, but... I wanted to listen to it. And uh, on XM Radio, they have all different broadcasts on there. They have, they're playing Florida. Georgia's playing Florida, so they have the Florida broadcast. And you can listen to that, or you can listen to the Georgia broadcast. So the Florida broadcasters or the Georgia broadcasters. This is the stupidest illustration. It's going to take longer than what it's worth, but I'm going to tell you. I've already started. And so I was, I was tuning in, and, I, and I, don't, I don't listen to the ball game enough on the radio. I'm not real familiar with the, with the people that, that are the voices. Not like I'm not the Braves. I listen to a lot of Braves games on the radio, but Bulldogs, I'm not familiar enough. So I just turned on and I, and I saw it. It said Georgia, Florida on the screen and they were talking about the game. And I said, well, we scored a touchdown. And they're talking about the game. They're, they're, they're broadcasting the game. They're announcing the game. And Georgia scored a touchdown. And the guy sounded disappointed. He was like, man, that's six more on the board for Georgia. Like that. And I'm like, whoa! 
I'm listening to the wrong broadcast. I said, if they ain't excited about what they're supposed to be excited about, I'm changing the channel. And I flipped through the dial, and I found the guy that was going crazy. Yeah! Whoa! Six on the board! Whoa! Go Georgia! Go dogs! And all that. And I said, that's the broadcast I want to listen to right there. I'm going to tell you something. I want to listen to people that are excited about Jesus. And if they get excited about the world, but not excited about my team, but excited about the other team, that's the people I'm cutting off. That's the people I don't want to listen to. I want to listen. You know why? Because it helped me. It stirred up something inside of me as a Georgia Bulldog fan. When I heard somebody else hollering and screaming about the Georgia Bulldog, I about ready to pull over on the side of the road and just, just punch something, man. That guy was excited. I thought he was breaking equipment all over the place. It was just a touchdown. We were already up by like two or three, so it didn't even matter. That dude was excited. I'm going to tell you something. You need to get, around, get away from them people that ain't excited about Jesus. Stay around them people that are excited about Jesus. If they get excited for the wrong team, that's the wrong crowd. They get excited for the world and all their wins, but they, don't get, they get excited about the Grammys and the Emmys and, the, and, the, and they don't get excited about church and Jesus and, and the Bible. That's the wrong team right there. Amen. Change the channel. Amen. That, was, that wasn't a bad illustration. Get around people with that renewed mind. And, that's the, and, and, and there's a fruitfulness to this. It's a transforming that is fruitful. Because look what it yields. Look what it does. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice what he says, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect Will of God. There's a, there's a, a fruitfulness, fruitfulness. It yields a discernment. When your mind is transformed, you can, you can discern, you see things the way that you ought to see things. And he's talking about proving the will of God. You know what that word prove means? It literally means, it means to test. It means to examine. It, the, the word prove, it literally means to kind of, it's, kind of, it's like a discernment kind of thing, to, to see two things and to be able to test them, weigh them, examine them, and, and choose the one that is right. Choose the one that is good, acceptable, and perfect are the words that's used here. The will of God. What God wants you to do. God's will for your life. And when you have... The, the idea here is this. is that when you have this transformed mind... When, if your mind is not transformed, you're operating in a, in a carnal, fleshly mindset, you're not going to make good decisions about the will of God for your life. But if you'll let God transform your mind and you see things... See things through the perspective of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you will be able to select, you will be able to look at something and say, that is the will of God. It's good, it's acceptable, it's perfect. And it is the will of God. It yields a fruitfulness and it helps you to choose paths for your life that make your life good, acceptable, and perfect to God. There is a conforming that is forbidden. There's a transforming that is fruitful. And then I'll give you one last one and I'm done. There is a performing. A performing that is furnished. 
And I want you to see that in verse number 3. Paul says, For I say through the grace given unto me. There's been grace that's been given unto him. But, 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 but not just to him. Not just to him. And I'll show you that because verse number 6, he says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So there's grace given to Paul to do what he's supposed to do. There's grace given to us to do what we're supposed to do. And look what he says, and that's what he's talking about verse number 3. He said, I'm saying this to the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. There's that humility, but think soberly, right? That renewed mind, it's the sober mind. To be sober-minded is the opposite of being intoxicated, to be drunk, to have a clear spiritual perspective, not intoxicated by the... By the, 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 the the things of this world, that, mind, that worldly mindset that we talked about. And the admonition here is, is, is it's, it's a call to humility and through that renewed and that sober, that sober mind. But notice what he says here. According as God, notice this, hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know what that is? That is the reason that we should be humble before God. You say, how so? It's because everything that we have and everything that we are, it is a gift of God. It is God that has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Did you have faith to believe and put in Christ? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from God. And then I, I think even in context, I think he's not just talking about saving faith. I think he's talking about servant faith. He's talking about the grace and the, and the faith that it takes to operate those gifts in the local church. And I'm going to tell you something. There is no room in the church for anybody to boast and anybody to brag and anybody to be proud about this gift or that gift or whatever it is. You know why? Because it is God that has given. He is the one that supplies it. He is the one that gives it. He is the one that furnishes us. And so since it's His gift and it's His, it's been energized and powered by His Spirit, guess what? He's the one that's doing it and he gets all the glory for it. The only place we need to get is on an altar and we need to die so that God can activate that faith and energize that grace inside of us and cause us to be and do what we're supposed to be and do in the context of the local church and even in our community and, and, and just life together. Lord, how to get along one with another. And one way is you can't be proud about this or that. You need to know that everything that you got, every measure that you have. Now, God gives it, He gives it out measurements that He wants to. Not everybody, may, not everybody has the same gift. Not everybody has the same measurement. God does that. But anything you do have, you don't have any room to boast at somebody else or boast over somebody. You know why? Because if God gave it, then He gets the glory for it. Because really all of us, although we all have different things that we do, and, and that's coming up here, we all really just do the same thing, don't we? And that's we get on the altar and we die. And we yield ourselves to God. And as soon as we start getting up off that altar and we put our thumbs under our suspenders and we think we're something, I'm going to tell you something, we're about to make a big mess all over the place. Ain't that right? We humbly yield to God. That's life on the altar. We humbly yield to God. And then God wonderfully does His work through us.
That is why life on the altar is the best life. And that's why I'm so thankful that Paul didn't give all these commands at the beginning and then all the doctrinal truths at the end. I'm glad it's this way. Because it's look what God has done for you. Now look what you need to do for Him. And look what He empowers you to do. We live for Him in light of everything that He's done for us. And that is life on the altar. And it is truly the best, the best life.